beer sound. Aha! Welcome! Hello, Internet. I already screwed up the ubiquitous monologue that I have literally written right here in front of me, so I have, I have to drink. Where's my drink sign? Can't find my drink sign. Drop my lightsaber, I have to drink. To drink, because you can't find your drink sign. And yeah. you dropped your lightsaber, that means another drink. Man, oh, that's three lightsaber. drinks in like the first 15 seconds. That's that, a record! I, that new record. Fuck yes! Yeah. I bet no other podcast in the world has ever had to drink that much. I wonder if any other podcasts are literally a drinking game for the host. Other uh, than ours. Like, I bet there's one out there somewhere, but I've never heard of it. Anyway, oh, drink three times if you're drinking along at home. There's gotta be at least one out there. Mm. Well, three little sips of that ain't bad. Uh, now for the real opening monologue. Fuck. <laughs> See, now I'm all off kilter. Uh, the ubiquitous opening monologue. Hello, Internet. My name is Sean Michael Patrick Thompson, as always, your host of Drink to the Past, the only podcast where Nick may inexplicably join and remind you to subscribe and share our content. He probably won't do that, but he might join. Who knows? Yeah, I, he I never knows that. Yeah. Not even Nick probably knows that. Nick is Dude, mysterious. He had, he had some trouble promoting even his own content. Yeah. So. Sweet. So uh, today on Sean Drinks Something Stupid, I have a blueberry martini. And we're doing uh, Christmas in July in October uh, because I am using my Christmas glassware because this is the closest thing I had to a martini glass. So I also selected a Christmas-themed beer glass that I got from the Santa train. Santa Express at Royal Gorge Route. In huh. uh, yeah, that's down in um, Canyon City here in Colorado. So it's a pretty cool little uh, loop train, very scenic. So check that out if you ever go to Colorado to Canyon City and have the hankering to ride a train. Uh, yeah, pretty cool. Anyway, um. So, I guess we'll get right into what you're playing. Chris, what you playing today? Is that looks like uh, the Magic Online thingy? Yeah, that, that's uh, Magic Arena. Okay. Which is kind of um, like Magic Online, but... Magic Online was actually, like, an interesting thing back when that was around. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't remember if this is... is the one that I played or uh, if it was another one. I played one that's, like, supposed to be the just magic in video game form, but it wouldn't let you tap your lands individually. You would have to select spells from your hand and then it would automatically tap lands. And sometimes it would like, I'd be like, oh, I'm playing a multicolor deck and then I want to play two spells and they're both black, but it taps both of my black lands to cast the first one and then I can't cast the second one. It was, it was really oh, frustrating. This, this, game, this game kind of has that problem too. Mm -hmm. Like it's a little smarter about it, but... uh <clears throat> Yeah, I don't remember what... I feel like that was uh, a few years ago. They released it on smartphones, so... I don't know if it was... It might have been MTG Arena. That might have been it. So, um, yeah, like, it was a cool concept, but you really just needed to be able to manually tap lands. And... Because I, I kept being, like, screwed out of playing cards because it would tap my lands like a jackass. I'm like, come on, man, this is stupid... Uh, what else have you been playing lately? Uh, let's see. I've been playing that new Phasmophobia that apparently is... That's the hot topic right now. Yeah, that's the hot topic right now. Honestly, uh, I'm not... I don't hate it. 
Mm -hmm. But I don't get what all the fuss is either. Like, I've played it a few times. Okay. So I'm like, yeah, this is kind of fun. Are you like, doing it in online. VR? Uh, no, I, I don't have a VR headset. Yeah. Doing it normal. That might be awkward with a guy like glasses like you. Yeah, and also I get motion sick, which mm -hmm. I think I bring up every every yeah. three I seconds mean, on the show or something. Just in but, some yeah. amount of like regular first-person games, you get motion sick, right? So... VR yeah. might just be, like, totally bad shit full Chris. Yeah. Um, yeah. It sounds interesting. I've been thinking of checking it out, but I've been like, yeah, I got all this shit on Game Pass. I don't need new games right now. I don't want to buy games until, you know, like, probably the next thing I buy will be, uh, I think I'm going to buy Cyberpunk 2077 when it comes out, just to say that I bought a game for my new Xbox. Because it seems silly to buy an Xbox and then not buy games for it, even though literally the reason I'm buying it is to have a Game Pass box under my TV. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. And then, other than that, the only thing on the horizon that I'm looking at in the near future is, of course, uh, Age of Calamity. Because that looks fucking cool. Because, you know me, I'm a Zelda guy. Um, anywho, uh, so let's get into this blueberry martini that I forgot about, uh, and we'll go into the news and booze in just a moment, but I did suggest, I did say Sean drinks something stupid, and then I forgot to actually drink it, and now I'm sitting here talking about it, uh, so if you're drinking along at home, you have to drink. This actually smells pretty good. Hmm. That ain't bad, actually. Um... It's, it's another one of those little shooter bottles that is just like, dump in this and a shot of booze. So it's a shot of vodka and a little bottle of blue stuff. Um, but it's better than most of them, I feel like. Because it, it does have a little bit of that sickly sweetness that they all have. Because it's like mostly sugar in there, I'm sure. But uh, there's also a little bit of other kind of flavor in there. Because you definitely Honest get a little God bit flavor? of that. Yeah, wow. It's like, it's not just a fuckload of like simple syrup or something. <laughs> um, yeah, so you actually get the blueberry in there and a little bit of whatever, like, dryness from martinis. I'm not exactly a martini expert. I'm actually not really any kind of an expert. I, like, I'm closer to a beer expert than anything, and I just like drinking dumb stuff like this for fun. Um... So I really have no idea what I'm trying to describe. But, it, you know, when you have a martini and it's got, like, that kind of dryish characteristic, it's got a little bit of that, and I don't I, get that from just the raw vodka that I use. So you know, I assume I it's something think, in the thing. I don't think I've ever had a martini, uh -huh. surprisingly enough. I have not had many. Um, most of them have been weird flavory ones. So they're, like, apple teeny or yeah. something like that? I, I ended up having to uh, drink half of my wife's apple teeny one time <laughs> when we were dating. She got an apple teeny, and then uh, her friend who had uh, was celebrating something, so she was taking both of us out to dinner. It was this weird scenario, but she was like, do you want another beer? I'm still buying. I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> she ordered April another uh apple teeny when she was in the bathroom and april comes back and she barely finished her first one so i think i drank most of that apple teeny and it was kind of hilarious because my wife is a super lightweight and she drank that one apple teeny and a little bit of the second one and i drank two beers and the rest of her second one and i was like fine i'm like not even buzzed right because i'm a big fat irish guy 
and she was too drugged to drive me home, and I had to call my dad. I'm like, <laughs> Dad, I don't want to walk. <laughs> that was funny. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, I thought I was going to tell you all about Breath of the Wild this week, because pretty much all I played was Breath of the Wild until literally today. Um, uh, I played a whole buttload of Doom Eternal this morning, and then about an hour of uh, Halo ODST before we jumped on the podcast, so that was pretty cool. Um, getting back into Halo ODST is kind of cool, because, again, I haven't uh, played it in a long time since it was on Xbox 360, and now it's funny, because I'm getting gamer score for this game that I already got for this game, but it's not ODST anymore, it's Master Chief Collection, so I'm getting more gamer score for the same achievements that I got which, like, it's it's nothing, like, impressive. I just think it's funny that I'm getting the same achievements again for beating all the chapters. I'm not... I'm like, that's eh, silly. Um, and then, yeah, I played, like, a crapload of Breath of the Wild this week because I was kind of, like, thinking, oh, yeah, I'll get into it. Um, you know, just kind of... I want to replay it, see all the cutscenes again before Age of Calamity comes out next month. So I was like, yeah, I'll get on that. So I collected most of the memories this week. I finished out the last Divine Beast that I hadn't beat on my newest save file. And I've found probably a hundred fucking Koroks all over the place. I'm finding them all over the place now because I, I got the Korok mask is one of the DLC things. And um, it like gives you a little indication when you're close to a Korok seed. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. And it's very useful, but it's kind of a double-edged sword because when it shakes, I like, I feel obligated to search out to the dying breath to find this Korok. And sometimes it's really tedious, even with the mask, to actually find where the Korok is. Uh, but it's still pretty fun. And then uh, let's go into our first piece of news and booze, and we'll talk about that because the other game I played just a little bit of was Super Smash Bros. Ultimate because Steve came out on October 13th. Um, we actually, the release date was announced two weeks ago, and we didn't have a podcast last week, so we didn't get to talk about all of the Smash news that comes with this. So uh, Byleth, Banjo-Kazooie, and Terra... Terry Amiibos are also going to release fall of next year, so it's might have been a little bit of a delay with that, so there is still a little ways out. And uh, also, in this you know, patch, a creeper, a pig from Minecraft, and the diamond armor from Minecraft, Mii Fighter outfits are now available, as well as Travis Touchdown and Bomberman Mii Fighter costumes. So there was kind of a lot of stuff in here. Uh, so, uh, what do you think about all that? Have you tried Steve yet? Uh, I have not tried Steve yet. Uh, the one thing I think of when I hear Steve now is I think, Hey, Steve! <laughs> nice. That that brings me back. <laughs> I haven't watched yeah. Homestar Runner in a long-ass time. Check out them. Uh, Homestarrunner.net. It's dot .com. It's dot .com. It's dot .com. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I played with him a little bit. He's interesting i don't feel like i will ever be good with him because he's super technical because you have to mine up materials and then you can use the materials to power some of your moves or you can just use them to upgrade your weapons by crafting them in a crafting table it's super intense uh i feel like really technical skilled players are going to be able to do amazing hilarious shit with him um i i actually saw one video of somebody like using his uh 
up smash and a combination of uh, his ability to just... He's got an ability to just jump and lay a brick. Like in Minecraft, when you're crafting things, you, you can jump up and, and put a brick down. So you can, you know, craft up a tower. And they use this to literally go all the way under the battlefield stage and get back up on the other side. It was like, what the shit? <laughs> I feel like technical players are going to have a crazy heyday with this guy. Um... I don't care about Steve as a character enough to put in the time sink to get good as him. Uh, but occasionally I think he'll be a fun character to play and I'll just like mine up a buttload of ore and then spam the minecart move and throw minecarts at people. <laughs> I, uh, well, Steve is... He's really got that default uh, character that you start with vibe going on, which is fair because, you know, that default character that you start with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird that, like, I feel like Minecraft kind of deserves the representation because it's such a ginormous, iconic series at this point. But Steve as a character is somebody who I literally could not care less about because he's not a character. Right? Like, people yeah. complain that Link isn't a good character because he's just the Avatar character, but he's got oh, 8 billion Link. times more personality than Steve. Right? <laughs> Yeah, Link has an actual personality, at least some in some of the time, at least in some games. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the amiibo? You don't do much amiibos, do you? Oh no, I, I amiibos are they're like for me. I think of them like DLC, but uh, less convenient. A little bit. I I have always been the kind of guy that really wanted to collect first four figures and that kind of really awesome statues, and I can't afford that, and even if I could justify, like, one, I would put it somewhere and my children would break it within a week. So I'm like, amiibos are alright. They're like, you know, 15 bucks, and they're detailed enough, and I can display a bunch of them. They're cool. I'm like, okay, this is kind of satisfying my deeper desire to eventually have, like, a big-ass statue collection. Uh, so I am definitely going to get Terry. Byleth, I don't care that much about. And Banjo-Kazooie, I'm like, nee. Like, I yeah. like... I, I, I just don't have much nostalgia for it. I, I did play Banjo-Kazooie at the time a little bit at a buddy's house, uh, but I, I was really never that into it. So, uh, And it's I, kind of I, annoying I, that the Byleth Amiibo is only coming out in the male variant, where most of their Fire Emblem protagonists, because you can choose male or female in the actual Fire Emblem game, and in Super Smash Bros. as well, they've actually had, like, they have a male and a female Corrin and a male and a female Robin Amiibo, but this one is only getting the male design, which... The male Byleth design is boring as fuck. Well, male Byleth has a boring as fuck personality, too. Yeah, I mean, female Byleth does, too, because literally they, neither of them has personality. But we've been over that. We, we had a whole yeah. podcast about that, almost, where I basically picked the topic just to bitch about Byleth the whole time. I love being the host. I'll drink to me. I'll drink to you, too. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so Terry is the only character that I'm like, yes, I'm gonna get this fucking amiibo. Um, so that'll be cool. Um, and, uh, the other thing that me fighter outfits actually had me intrigued, uh, because Travis Touchdown is there, and I've been, like, wanting Travis in Smash Brothers since fucking Brawl, and I'm just psyched that he's in, but kind of disappointed that he's not an actual character at the same time. It, it's kind of a, like a bittersweet, like, 
I got what I wanted, but not how I wanted it, you know, so I'm like, eh. yeah. Uh, but I did buy it, and uh, for the first time, I used Me Sword Fighter because he can be Travis, and he's an alright character. I'm not like crazy about him. I tried several of his combination move sets, which is that's kind of a unique little thing that you can kind of customize their move set a little bit. But I'm like, yeah, it's, it's fine. Um, I'll I'll probably like back pocket him because he's Travis, and for no other reason. <laughs> Cause he, like, I literally kind of customized him to play more like Ike, but I'm like, I'd really rather just play Ike. So. I feel like that's fair enough. Yeah. I've also yeah. been an Ike main since Brawl, so, you know, there you go. Um, next piece of news and booze. I forgot to timestamp our news and booze. Uh... Oh, I'll you come know, back to timestamp probably... it later, because I always like to have the timestamps, except for when I, you know, forget or am too drunk or something. Or whatever. So if there's no timestamp for news and booze, sorry, I have to drink. I'll, I'll drink now for just in case. But I should be able to go back and fix Anyways, Overwatch will be free to play on Nintendo Switch Online from... Uh, October 13th, which is Tuesday this week, so a few days ago, uh, to the 20th. So if you are a Nintendo Switch Online member, uh, you can just download the full game and play it for free for a few days to see if you like it. Uh, so I think this is a kind of an interesting idea that, that literally gives you the whole game as a demo. Um, so uh, what do you think about that? Is that gonna set a unique precedent you think they're gonna do this with more games down the line be like hey here's breath of the wild for free for four days or, or mario kart or stuff like that it's so the precedent has already kind of been set in that uh steam's been doing that forever yeah but it's steam's people have not been... nintendo this is new steam, to nintendo no. so <laughs> So, so it's maybe setting a precedent for Nintendo, or yeah. Nintendo's, like, trying out this new thing. Mm -hmm. you know, Does it work like well for Steam? Do you uh, play a lot I of games so. that way? I, I don't play a lot of games myself that way, but I definitely notice the impact that mm -hmm. comes with uh, that happening. Bless your ass. Bless my ass. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think it's kind of interesting to have, because uh, the, I mean, the, technically the biggest demo they've had other than this is the Dragon Quest Eleven demo, where that was cool. It's like, oh, the first 10 hours of the game, that's pretty cool. Um, but now it's like you literally can play the whole game if you have the time to sit down. Uh, I don't know how much story content there actually is in Overwatch, because it's primarily multiplayer. Uh, I but... think it's entirely multiplayer. I. I, I have not played much Overwatch myself. Okay. I thought there was a story mode, but I could be wrong. Um, so, yeah. Um, at that point, I feel like that would be a different precedent anyways, though. Because, like, you know, them releasing, like, Overwatch, a big multiplayer game, if it is only multiplayer, that's different from releasing, like, uh, you know, Breath of the Wild, a big single-player adventure or something. Something that's more story-focused. Uh single player driven rather than an online multiplayer yeah so I think it's kind of interesting um I'm not huge into Overwatch either I, I've been thinking about downloading it but then I was playing a shitload of Breath of the Wild so I didn't care 
Uh, Splatoon 2 will have a new Splatfest October 30th, 3 p.m. Pacific Time through November 1st, 2 a.m. or 2 p.m. Excuse me, Pacific Time. Uh, Team Trick versus Team Treat. So I'm kind of excited about that. I'm going to pick up Splatoon 2 again because uh, I, I used to like just pick it up every Splatfest and like it maybe one or two times the week before Splatfest. And since they haven't had many Splatfests, I've like barely been touching it. It's been pretty much just like sitting in its little slot. Um, so you don't have much to say about this because you're not a Splatoon guy, are you? Uh, Splatoon's always one of those games that kind of passed me by. I'm actually a little sad it passed me by. Ah, well, get into it. There's a new Splatoon Splatfest, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that could be well, kind of maybe. Cool. Maybe this will uh, prove the perfect excuse. Yeah, not a bad idea. And there's going to be another one in January, they said. Uh, so they're not completely gone, but they're not, like, monthly like they used to be. Uh, and it's, it's, I think it's still, like, a pretty good game to just go online and just fucking have a heyday with. Uh, it's one of the most fun I've ever had in a multiplayer online shooter. Um, I think it's great. Uh, so you're going to go Team Trick or Team Treat? Uh, let's go Team Treat. Never been much of a trick kind of guy. Yeah, I'm not, like, offended by tricks, but treats could mean beer. Treats are usually better. beer, what you drinking? Oh, I am drinking a face-down brown ale from Telluride. I've had those. I feel like I've had that on the podcast. That's not a bad one. I don't think... I don't remember it being like maze balls. Is it a maze balls? Oh, uh, it's okay. Okay, so it's all right. <clears throat> yeah, nice little localish place. Tell your rides always west of here, but you know, close enough. Still Colorado. Um, yeah, and my beer of the week is uh, Dry Dock Brewing Company's Sour Apricot. Uh, they've got uh, their most famous one is their uh, Apricot Blondale. Uh, so this is a sour version of that, um, which uh, I took a little sip of earlier, but hmm. not terrible. I don't know. It's kind of just sweet and sour. It's like, it's fine. It's like drinking a sour apricot. Yeah. Uh, the Monster Ooh. Hunter movie got a new trailer. Hits theaters this December. You going to go check it out? Uh, based on what I've been seeing... On Twitter from our mutual, it sounds like it's not really related to Monster Hunter. It's kind of weird. On... Uh, so the trailer shows like these military guys, and uh, Mila Jovovich is the uh, like main protagonist chick, and she's with these military guys, and they're like investigating some sort of weird happening. And then there's a monster and they're like, Oh God, what's happening? And then they get like sucked through a portal somehow. And then they're like in the monster hunter world. But so it's an isekai movie, which is <laughs> also really fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. So it, a... I think it looks like a lot of fun, but I also think it doesn't look anything like normal monster hunter. Uh, cause you know, uh, it's like got all these military guys sucked into the alternate dimension or something to fight the monsters. And it looks like the monsters are going to come back to Earth as well. So I think it'll be a pretty fun, like, man versus monster movie. I, I like fucking kaiju movies, right? I'm a big Godzilla fan and stuff. Um, I mean, 
So yeah, I think sense. it'll still be a ton of fun, even if it literally does not live up to Monster Hunter as a franchise at all. I think it'll still be a, a decent, like, monster kind of movie. I, I still have a suspicion, even though I don't think Uable directs movies anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also... Do, do you remember Uwe Bull when he was challenging uh, his critics to, like, boxing matches? No, but that's hilarious. <laughs> so, so... I will drink to you, Uwe Bull. He, so, uh, he's a terrible director. Like, gen- genuinely awful, and he... Because his mm-hmm. movies, the worse they do, the more money they make back due to a tax what was a tax hole in German law. I'm not sure if it's there anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. Well, I'm about to get punched in the dick really hard. You getting screwed up by that guy's paladin something something? Yeah. It's kind of hard to read the cards on here, but... Yeah. Oh, paired tactician? Something like that? Yeah. Ooh, you got a serrated scorpion. Sweet. Indeed uh, I do. Yeah. If you're wondering what we're talking about, head over to YouTube and you can catch exclusive gameplay of various games from normally Chris, but sometimes me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Switch it up every is, now and uh, MTG. Um, yeah, so uh, check us out on YouTube. If you're on Podbean, it might be worth checking out. Uh, but, you know, we're glad to have you on Podbean as well. We actually get more listens on Podbean than we do on YouTube, so. I have That's not just really a... been able to look at the analytics, so. <clears throat> I haven't looked it's in a little bit either, but uh, it, it always shows me our views on the last several videos when I upload it to YouTube, and it's always like two or three, uh, whereas we steadily get a good amount of, like, I think it automatically downloads on most of our subscribers, so we get a okay amount of downloads compared to that, uh, so... Yeah, check us out on YouTube. Share our content so other people check us out on YouTube or or Podbean or Apple if that floats your boat. Um, here's a funny one. Uh, so the PlayStation Five is delayed in India because an India resident named Hitesh Watani filed a trademark for the name PS Five last year. Uh, well, I'm interested to see how that case goes because uh, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I, I don't think it'll like, go anywhere. I think Sony has way more money than this random patent troll. I'm sure, but, uh, but I feel like he's just there so that Sony will be like, "Here's a shut the fuck up check," <laughs> you know, just settle out of court, give him a, oh, you know, I mean, what would you do yeah. for that? This is a funny thing because I was looking up. Apparently, in the United States, they have patented the brand name. Uh, PS5 like a long time ago like in the PS3 area the they patented like or they, they trademarked everything from PS3 to like PS10 or something so this is an issue that will never come up in the United States and I think it's hilarious that it's coming up somewhere else uh, that is pretty funny but yeah they can't copyright the name so they can't release their system unless they change the name or figure out the copyright issue with this dude. I think this is fucking bonkers and it's amazing. 
Uh, Phil Spencer told Kotaku, uh, I think over this generation, our expectation would be that price really matters and that you would see the Series S sell more. Uh, so this is just one, there, there's actually a pretty interesting uh, interview over on Kotaku. So if you check them out, um, you can get the full interview for a little more background on this. But I thought this particular quote was interesting because um, I feel like he might be right uh, with the Series S selling more, particularly, because, uh, you know, one of the things that I've just been, like, not even paying attention to the Xbox One, like, at all since its launch is it's just, like, it's got, you know, this big-ass price tag, and, yeah, it's fancy. Like, when they advertised the Series X coming out, I'm like, wow, that looks really cool, but, but what do I play on it? And now it's like, okay, now we've got a handful of cool exclusives and Game Pass gives you a fuckload of everything and it's, it's only $2.99. And, you know, going, you know, fast forward two years or something, this could get a price drop easy to, you know, 200 bucks. And then it's like even more of a crazy deal. You know, when it goes on sale, it'll be like 150 on Black Friday in two years, I'm calling it, you know. Uh, so I think this could... Yeah, that sounds about right. I feel like Series S has a really big advantage, not just over uh, the Xbox Series X, but also possibly over the PlayStation 5, because both versions of the PlayStation 5 are more expensive. They're at $399 and $499, respectively. So for the more powerful one with the disk drive on the PlayStation 5, uh, well, actually, I think the disk drive is the only difference. So you're not getting cut back uh, internal specs uh, like with the Series S compared to the X, but you're just losing that disk drive. But even so, um, it's a hundred bucks more. So I think that's, you know, a good selling point. And then, you know, when that price drops, it still won't be as cheap because, you know, I bet they'll probably price drop right around the same time. Uh, what do you think about all this? Uh, would you be more interested in an Xbox because it's, you know, not all that expensive and, consumer-friendly uh, buy-in to the subscription service as well. I mean, I, I again, I'd have to see games, but yeah. I'm like, if I saw one one game on there and I, there was like maybe the promise of some more, I'd be mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'd pick that up. 300 bucks for that yeah. and then like a bunch of other stuff. Starting to appeal to my greedy mm -hmm. side. Yeah. Because, I mean, it, it already comes with some amount of built-in value, because, like, day one, it's going to have Doom Eternal on Game Pass. You know, that's still less than a year old game. Um, plus, you know, whatever Microsoft exclusives come out, day one, they're coming out. You know, you're getting Halo. You, I guess these aren't probably things that you care about as much as I do, but uh, it, the value is undeniable, and I, I think it's just interesting to see where this generation will go. Yeah. Um, Another piece of Xbox news, uh, Xbox is planning a browser-based app for Game Pass to circumvent the Apple Store because of all the rigmarole that they've been trying to do with the Apple Store, because uh, Apple's basic stance on it allegedly is that they won't let them have any kind of streaming video games app unless each app can be or each video game can be reviewed individually so it sounded like they were like wanting xbox to make a separate app for every game to run through game pass on 
iOS or something, which obviously would be a shitload of work on Microsoft's part. And for, you know, maybe it might be beneficial, but certainly not as much as just like, here's an app, play all the games. Um, so I think this is just another really awkward Apple is being a dick moment. Which is funny because Microsoft has the capacity to be way bigger dicks. Yes. Way bigger. But they're still trying to play by the rules, and yet they're they're also trying to circumvent the rules by just being like, okay, fine, fuck you, we're just gonna make it run in your browser so you can play it on the iPhones that people want to play it on. And I think it's just a, it's not just a dick move to Microsoft, it's a dick move to, like, people with, you know... Game Pass, because I was talking to a buddy of mine at work, because I was playing Halo on my phone, and he's like, dude, this is amazing. How do I do this? I'm like, it's included in Game Pass Ultimate. You can just stream games to your phone. He's like, oh, do I have to have the app? And I'm like, yeah, you get it in the Google Store. He's like, I have an iPhone. And I'm like, okay, sorry, you can't do it. Never mind. And he's like, all pissed about it. I'm like, I'm sure there are a lot more people than just my buddy at work that are pissed about not being able to play their Xbox games, because they happen to have iPhone. I'm like, this is this is a really awkward situation for Apple that they're just shooting themselves in the foot, right? Like yeah. they could, because Microsoft isn't like they they'd even you know if there's any in-app purchases or whatever, Microsoft is like willing to you know go that route and you know pay their whole thirty percent or whatever that you know Epic is still fighting and other developers are complaining about. You know, so it's it's literally a lose-lose situation for Apple because they're not getting any more money from this and they look like dicks for not letting Xbox put their games on your phone. It, I think it's stupid of Apple to go after a company around as big as they are. It's like, you could, you could try this shit with like a small indie developer or something. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Go, but doing this to Microsoft means that you're it, they're, they're gonna be able to figure out a way around it mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah because not every indie developer or whatever could you know figure out a web browser and they might not have the capacity because the studio might be two guys right <laughs> so yeah. but Microsoft has enough fuck you money to make it work somehow so it's just it, it's gonna be there either way, but you're making it more of a pain in the ass, and you're advertising Android as the better phone because you can just do it through an app instead of the whole browser bullshit. Yeah. So, Honestly, I'm not. I am not an Apple guy, and you aren't either. So. No. I. I was an Apple kid. I had Macintosh computers growing up, and there was some good stuff about it. Uh, and now I feel like Apple has become exactly the giant corporate douchebag that in the eighties, they, you know, were founded and were trying to take down like maybe even worse. Yeah. That's what happens with every company. Eventually. Check us out on Apple podcasts, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, no, don't. check us out on Podbean. Yeah. Or YouTube. Or YouTube. Then you can watch me lose repeatedly at magic. Yeah. What the fuck, Chris? Do you suck or something? Nah, it's just everyone's playing a meta deck. Okay. And I, I don't, I have not really spent money, so it's jank versus meta. 
yeah, that's an issue with these kind of things as well, uh, which is why I kind of quit Hearthstone. Because <laughs> I could tell that, like, because I've played Magic for a long time, and, and, you know, even before that, I played Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh!, and I've got a decent mind for how card games like this work. And I got, like, okay, and I beat all the low-tier guys because I knew what the fuck I was doing, and then I got bumped up to the mid-tier, and most of the mid-tier players were, like, making absolute trash moves, but still winning because their cards were better. And I was like, I'm not spending money, so I'm not gonna win, so this is boring. Hearthstone also has a lot more luck-based cards than uh, Magic. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the consistent mana generation uh, makes up for that. Yeah. Uh, in Magic, the cards themselves are less luck-based, but the chance of getting mana screwed on three lands, like yeah. I am right now, is <laughs> a lot greater. Yeah. Or, you know, possible at all. All right, and our last piece of news and booze is Worlds Without Numbers is live on Kickstarter. So we'll have the link in the description, uh, no matter which uh, version you're listening to or watching. Uh, I'll put the link in the description there. Uh, Chris, you want to plug these guys? Yeah, so I, I've been plugging this for a while, but now that it's finally live, I, uh, I'm here to say, hey, look, this thing's backed. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Uh, it's. I like the take on a D and D that it has. That it's more like we often say Dungeons and Dragons has a Vancean magic system or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, where this is more, much closer to, say, the writings of Jack Vance. Mm -hmm. Uh. And that it's like a Earth has gone through several aeons, and magic might just be like really ancient technology we don't understand, and a bunch of weird shits going on. Uh, but I like the the rule system is like it's elegant, but it lets you get away with a bunch of character concepts, which is always a plus. It's like very simple, but you can do a lot with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it has a shitload of GM tools in the back, which are really nice for writing sandboxes. So, yeah. Sweet. So, so I don't want to keep advertising for Kevin Crawford, but, uh, fuck, I was really looking forward to this. So, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm liking it. Yeah, so check them out. We'll have the link in the description. You can check out their Kickstarter. Alright, and shall we get into our video game topic for the day? Yes. So, video game topic today, I didn't even know what it was, because I haven't looked at the document in a while, and I didn't choose one. So, Chris actually put the topics in today, so this will be fun. Um, how to yeah. handle pro power progression in video games. Skill only, level systems, new items, power-ups, or just increased breadth of abilities. Metroid versus Final Fantasy versus Breath of the Wild. Uh, so, this is a kind of an interesting question. Uh, what makes you pose this, Chris? Uh, well, mostly it ties into the tabletop question. That helps. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that's how I do it. I'm like, this is my video game topic. What's a table topic that's kind of similar? <laughs> or or yeah. vice versa. But uh, a, lot of, a lot of what AAA games do these days, and we've talked about this a bit before, is um, they have kind of explicit progression, like leveling systems, to go with 
rather than relying on you increasing your skill as a player. Right. Uh, and I feel like that's both a good and a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, good in that it lets you, uh, whoa. It lets you whoa? Is he going to let me get away with this? Sorry, sorry, suddenly distracted. Uh, it's good in that it lets players who would otherwise get frustrated and quit mm-hmm. uh, do... Uh, it, it gives them something to look forward to. Yeah. But it's bad in that... Uh, in that players never really learn to improve their skills, and it also means that a lot of AAA designs are not based around improving as a player. So that right. kind of game falls by the wayside. <laughs> uh, real quick, we forgot to rate our drinks, so I'm pretty sure we both have to drink. Uh, what do you rate that uh, beer on a scale of 3 to 17? I'm like, I like it okay, but I'm like, it's... I, I guess it's not doing much for it's me. It's kind of underwhelming. Yeah. Kind of like a couple of the Telluride beers that I had were like that. It was like, they're fine, I, but they just like I'm don't like, stand out that much. It's like a real beer. I can tell it's a real beer. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's not much beyond that. It's pretty one note. So I'm like nine, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll give my blueberry martini a uh, eleven, just above the average, which those like sugary things were like mostly right around the average or a little below. So it's not my cup of tea, but it's, it's fine. Yeah. Um, and then I'll give this beer another go. Yeah, I feel like it's really just one of those sours that's just kind of like, look at me, I'm a sour. We're popular. Millennials drink us. It's fine. See, I like sours. I like sours sometimes, but I don't like sours for the sake of being a sour. It has to be more than just a sour, you know? Yeah. I, I say that about a lot of things. I, I don't like one-note beers, whether it's a sour or it's an IPA that just tastes like hops, you know? It's, and, and it's boring. This is absolutely the uh, definition of a one-note beer. Hmm. Yeah. Kind of a disappointing week for our <laughs> beers, then, if my mixed drink is the highest, because I yeah. think I'm going to give this a 10. It's like, it's, it's, it's sour. It's apricotty. Can't really tell I'm drinking a beer. It's like sour apricot juice. It's fine. It's not, you know, intense. Like a lightsaber to the face. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but not many things are intense like a lightsaber to the face. True. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think... Uh, it's an interesting question you pose, because uh, power progression in video games does... I feel like it's more interesting if you get a little bit of a blend of all these things. Uh, Breath of the Wild is a good example kind of blends this because there is a progression of, you know, you go to shrines, you get to upgrade your heart containers, you upgrade your gear occasionally. Um, so there is some progression to it, but at the same time, you're going to have a really difficult time getting to the top tiers of that progression 
if you don't actually like pay attention and learn how to play to some extent, you know, um, I feel like it's a really good mixture of these styles because, you know, the further you go, the more you play, the more hearts you get. Theoretically, that makes everything easier. You find new food to do stuff, but that's another thing that, like, you have to kind of pay attention to is what kind of food do you have? Are you going to make buff food? Are you going to make a bunch of food to just heal yourself? Are you going to wear this armor that gives you this buff? Are you going to change it out depending on the scenario? Stuff like that. So it's it's a little bit of strategy. It's a little bit of just generic, you know, progression. And it's a little bit of you just have to know how to play the game. Because there's enemies in the first area just on the Great Plateau that will totally kick your ass if you're not, like, paying attention and, you know, dodging and flurry rushing when you can and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, so... I feel like Breath of the Wild is is one of the uh, games that does this the best. Um, but at the same time, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with going one way or the other instead of balancing these. Because uh, obviously, like, other games, like uh, Halo doesn't really have any kind of progression like that. You're the same guy you are. There's just different guns depending on the level, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's that's pretty much all skill based, especially when you get up to the higher difficulty settings. If you're you know that kind of gamer, you want to go and and play through on hard or stuff like that. And, um, and it goes a little bit of different way than like say Doom, because uh, Doom has a little bit of that kind of progression. Because as you go through the game, you're getting the better guns and stuff like that. So. Yeah, the levels are still getting harder and you're still having I feel like in Doom you still have to get better at the game but it's also kind of making it easier so I think I kind of generally like those balanced kind of games where it's like you get a little bit of both Uh, although I really do like Halo better than Doom so both external and but it's only just I only just like Halo better than Doom it's weird (laughs) yeah I I mean and well, and when you're at that point, uh, it can be down to just the various different designs. Because mm-hmm. I'm also a big fan of. I'm also a big fan of like tactical RPGs. I'm also a big fan of games like Disgaea, where it's nothing but leveling and leveling and leveling, mm-hmm. which is kind of the draw of it. Like. Doing the tactics at least is still important, depending on what level you are and a certain mm-hmm. range. Yeah, but you always have the option to uh, get levels beyond that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm trying to think of a game that I didn't like as well that kind of did this, and uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer which I liked well as a game, uh, but because there was no obvious progression, it kind of didn't incentivize me to keep playing all the time because it's like there's some amount of progression uh, because when you get gems, then when you die, you can get permanent upgrades and stuff like that. Uh, But it's it really also is like so random that like some 
playthroughs, I'll get to like the third floor or whatever, just because I get a really badass weapon in the first one. And other ones, I'll have like shit the whole time, and they'll spawn a bunch of dragons in the first level, and I'll just be totally fucked. So, um, I like that it makes me learn how to play the game and get better at the game, but I also feel like there needs to be a more direct incentive to keep playing the game and keep getting better at the game. There needs to be a little more reward at the end. Not that it was, like, terrible reward, but I feel like it didn't reward you very often, because, you know, after, like, the first couple of times you got upgrades, it became, like, very expensive to get good upgrades for gems in that game. Uh, So... I think that's something that Cadence of Hyrule kind of balanced out a little better, uh, but maybe a little too far to that other end where it's like, okay, now you're getting upgrades like a lot in Cadence of Hyrule, I felt like. I was just like, at the start, I was like, ah, I'm not very good, but I can do it if I'm, you know, playing the game well. And at the end, I was just like, you know, just kind of mowing through enemies, just like, ah, I don't care, because I got all these, you know, some of the weapons in that game are like permanent. So you're just like, yeah, fuck you. I, I have this weapon and, and I know, you know, most of you can't touch me. And if you do, I've got like 40 hearts or something. Yeah. So there's a balance to be struck there. I don't think Cadence of Hyrule or Crypt of the Necrode- I think they're kind of on extreme ends of the spectrum a little bit. Um, and something meeting in the middle would be better. Well, I guess a lot of the better uh, better liked roguelikes, mm-hmm. roguelites or what have you, whichever name you prefer. Uh, man, this guy's gonna hate me. Uh, a lot of the better liked roguelites have kind of a meta progression system. Like in Binding of Isaac, you get to unlock new items that you'll find in later runs the more you play. Right. Uh, so you don't just get good at the game, you also unlock more things. In Slay the Spire, you unlock new cards. And uh, Enter the Gungeon, you can unlock new guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and I think Andrew the Gungeon does this best actually in that you have to improve as a player and you can actively feel yourself improving as a player but you can also get lucky and get further than you normally would and be like hey I did I made a lot of progress or I made it down to the next floor so I feel much better about myself mm-hmm. uh, then again maybe I just really love Enter the Gungeon it's possible yeah. Um, so what do you think about... Uh, you brought up power-ups versus a, a more strictly like level-up-y system. Um, like Metroid versus Final Fantasy is, is your example here on the document. Um, I think that's a kind of an interesting way to go through it because I feel like there's not a lot of difference between the two. Because... In the end, you're still, like, getting that progression, but you're getting it at a, in a different way. Maybe power-ups might be better in some cases, because obviously that would eliminate any kind of grind whatsoever. Um, whereas, like, level-ups might involve grinding, or they might not, depending on how, they, you know, the game is balanced with that and uh, different things. But... I'm not sure there's a huge difference between the two. Uh, so, uh, 
do you think there's a huge difference or, or that one is necessarily better? Uh, I don't think any is necessarily better in general. I think lots are better for certain kinds of games, but every design decision has trade-offs. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times you wouldn't want, like, say, both a leveling system and, like, an unlocking system, like some of the, like, say, Super Metroid or a game like that uh, in the same game, because so they would both throw Zelda each other off. Bad. Uh, <laughs> Zelda 2 was a good experiment to show us some things that... <laughs> to show us that that doesn't work. Because, <laughs> yeah, Zelda 2 had the RPG elements and the leveling up and the grinding in it. It didn't Oops, really did help. I accidentally criticize Zelda 2? I can't have you thinking that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, Zelda 2 had plus. Right, yeah. Right. Um, much as I love it. Right. Zelda 2 had its issues. And as much as I hate it, I can admit that there's one thing good about it. Because the soundtrack was actually pretty solid. I like most of the music in Zelda 2. It actually has my... I think it has my least favorite soundtrack out of the Zeldas. Hmm. Surprisingly enough. I feel like that, for me, would go to Minish Cap. Oh, yeah, I don't remember the Minish Cap soundtrack at all, so... Well, a lot of it was recycled from Ocarina of Time, but they tried to downsample it to make it play on the Game Boy Advance's, like, really terrible sound card. Like, games on the Game Boy Advance just sound like crap anyway, and when it's trying to be Ocarina of Time music and failing because of the sound card, it it was just... Some of it was really obnoxious, too. I just... I cannot think of like any song that I or tune that I really loved in that game. I don't think there's even any that I really liked. Like I don't think most of them were objectively terrible, but I feel like most of them sounded terrible because of the sound on the on the system. Just hardware limiting it and and making it it not sound ideal. <clears throat> um but yeah. Let's see. So, yeah, Zelda 2 definitely could have done without a leveling system. Yeah. Could have just like done make your just... max level at the start, and you're still probably going to die all the fucking time, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I think Zelda 2. I think a leveling system might be fine for that kind of game if it were balanced in a more careful manner. Right. Like uh, some of the other Metroidvanias, you could have you could have it so that you level up normally so that you're dealing the expected amounts of damage if you just play through the game normally. But if like a player is bad, you can let them grind a little and then they can just kind of power through something they otherwise wouldn't yeah. be able to. I think with Zelda 2, that was more a design issue with uh, enemy balancing because enemies were not very well balanced in that game. And in a lot of cases, they were just, like, way too powerful, like, in general. Even if you, like, grind up and have the best items, some enemies are just OP as shit, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So what what do you think about a a skill-only games? Because that's one of the things you have in here. And I'm trying to think of a skill-only game other than, like... 
I feel like Crypt of the Necrodancer is close to that, but I, of, I'm, I'm trying to think of a game that's strictly skill only, because I feel like pretty much every game I've played gives you some kind of, you know, upgrade on the way, or, or tool to help you learn the game, at least. Well, original Super Mario Bros. A lot, a lot of the older games. <laughs> that's true. I guess platformers in general kind of are like that, because platformers very seldom give you any kind of, like, strict upgrades. Yeah. Um, I guess it probably depends on the platformer, but I'm, I don't know, I'm trying to think of platformers that really, yeah, most of them are just like, you know, you get hit twice, you're dead, you know, here's the level, have fun. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and that's not a terrible thing about platformers either. Um, although in some of them you get new abilities, like in Celeste you get like the double jump and you, uh, stuff like that. The, the double jump in Celeste, I feel like is that that's that's not a pure it's not a pure example mm -hmm. but you only get the double jump when you need the double jump uh-huh and uh most celeste is really interesting in that most of its advanced moves it just doesn't teach to you but you're able to perform them at any time yeah like, uh, what is it? I want to say, like, down... It's like, down jet, dash jump, or whatever it is. I don't I don't know what the actual name is called. Mm -hmm. I'm not uh, sure either. <laughs> I'm not even totally sure what you're talking about. There's, like, a long jump you can do by dashing at the ground at a certain angle and then jumping. Huh. That makes you go way further. Uh, and I think the game actually teaches it to you in one of the B-side stages. Okay. But I never did it any. It doesn't of teach it to you before that, and you can do it at any point. So Celeste is, yeah, Celeste is a good example of intrinsic yeah, progression. Much, yeah, ninety-nine percent skill based. Yeah. If not a hundred, yeah. Yeah. Because I guess Celeste, I feel like you get the dash early on, but I don't feel like you start with it. But I, I could be wrong. I guess maybe you do start with the dash. Uh, which is effectively your second jump. And then it refills when you hit the little crystals and stuff, so you can jump more, usually, depending on, you know, the design of the level and stuff. So, <clears throat> so you do not start with the jump. Uh, you, you unlock it when the crow tells you that you can dash. Or you, oh. don't, you don't start with the dash. Okay. So, yeah, you unlock two things in that game. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, pretty good. Uh, yeah. Pretty good assortment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Trying to think of what else to say on this here topic. Uh. I think, I think we've covered a lot of this before in an earlier podcast, actually. So. Possibly. Um, you know, it wasn't quite the same topic, but it might have been topic adjacent or something. But, uh, yeah, so do you prefer one over the other? Uh, skill versus item progression versus level up progression? Skill versus item progression? Uh, I ten it tends to be how I'm feeling. Skill progression 
games where I need skill to progress, I usually cannot play uh, when I'm not feeling like all that energetic. Mm-hmm. I typically am like, oh, I just want to, I just want to fuck around and not do, not play. So I'll play games that are easy to play, where I can just kind of grind something out and just mash my way through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I'm feeling at the top of my game and I want a challenge is when I switch to the intrinsic progression kinds of games. Okay. Yeah, like I was saying, I kind of feel like a good balance is, is key because yeah. I want to get better at the game and then, you know, the next time I play it, if I play it again, I want to be like, I have an idea of what I'm doing and stuff like that and then I can, you know, explore different things that I didn't see the first time and stuff like that. Um, but at the same time, I want, you know, in general... Of some kind of driving thing to make me want to get through it and for Celeste I feel like it was kind of just that like the the story was pretty pretty short and basic but at the same time it was very effective in its delivery uh, and sometimes the story can get me through games that I wouldn't ordinarily be as into mechanically but most of the time I'm more like I'm here for fun I need a game that is fun you know, if if the story's great and the mechanics are crap, then I don't like it. But for Celeste, it was like, it's a little bit bare bones, but it's all about, you know, just overcoming the challenge. And so I feel like it presented itself very well for that. And it was a bit of a challenge to overcome, you know. I, I, and I never thought that it was an unfair challenge is, is another part of it. Uh, yeah. Whereas I feel like, uh, again, going back to Crypt to the next third answer, sometimes it was fair, sometimes it was unfair. Like when you, you know, get to the I, last I think that... floor or, or the third floor, and there's just buttloads of unfair enemies. Yeah, it's like, what do you even do here? It's, it's like that's... you have barely anywhere to move, but the dragons do bust through walls and shit. <laughs> I think that's an interesting point because uh, in tr- games where you just have to get better at the game, have to be more carefully designed. Mm-hmm. When you have an extrinsic rewards progression built in, it can be, you can you can afford to be just a little bit sloppier. Be like, mm-hmm. oh, you just, yeah, don't care, can can kind of if your difficulty curve is off, or if you rely on teaching players to do things they might not necessarily know how to do. Uh, you still... You, you, they can still just level up and ignore it. Yeah. Uh, another little thing I, I wonder, uh, what do you think strategy plays into this kind of topic? Because in some games, it's not... It's, it's Strategy is like part of the skill but it's not necessarily the skill. Because I was thinking, uh, again, of uh, platformers, and I thought of Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze. And in that, like, most of it is skill. It's a very skill-based game to get through that game. But some of it can also be strategy, because in some levels, uh, you might want to take Diddy so you can, you know, do the farther jump. Or in some levels, you might want to take Cranky Kong uh, so that you can... uh, like use he he's got an ability he can jump on his uh, walking stick to uh, jump on spikes and stuff like that. So 
And that's just a, a really little example. Obviously, strategy can mean a, a ton of things. And strategy can be easy little things to just make your life a little easier. And strategy can also be, you know, like a huge, huge part of the way you play the game. Like, say, an Octopath Traveler where, you know, you're paying very careful attention to, um, like, how you're going about... Um, attacking each enemy because it's like you've got several enemies you don't know what all of them are weak to which attacks are you going to use first to see what they're weak to in order to stun them and it's like strategy is a very deep part of that game and without the strategy you literally won't make it through uh at, at past a certain point like you can just kind of mash attacks for the first couple of chapters but at a certain point it'll just be like if you don't really know how to play this game you're not getting past these bosses. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think strategy probably falls under that intrinsic skill, but there's also different kinds of skills, which is... Mm -hmm. I feel like it, it's also related to progression, though, because sometimes your strategies can progress as you gain new abilities. Like, you know, for example, again, Octopath Traveler, you level up, you get new abilities, and now your warrior can use a fire attack or something. So then he can... But it's fire and sword. So you might unlock more of the weaknesses of your enemy if you use an attack that damages in multiple types uh, to eventually stun them. So I think that's kind of an interesting... I, I feel like it's kind of intrinsically linked to both of these things in different, like, radically different ways. Yeah, you unlock an extrinsic progression, but you don't know how to use it yet. Yeah, is often a thing. Uh, and I, I think, uh, what was it? Some guy, the angry DM or the angry GM or whatever his name is, actually mm. had an interesting article where he talked about uh, how fifth edition is designed so that uh let's see it's designed so that you have enough time to get used to your new abilities uh and learn those new abilities before you advance to a level where you get yet on more new abilities mm -hmm. that's how the xp curve is designed which i thought was interesting because mm -hmm. uh we, we don't i don't think i've ever played in a campaign with you where we've used the XP system as designed. Yeah. Uh, our group is weird like that because, like, I feel like all of us have a little bit different idea of how often you should level up and stuff because, like, I remember the first campaign I ever played in and, like, I think I got, like, we, we played for, like, you know, two hours. We did a whole big-ass quest and, and, you know, I almost died and, and all this stuff. And, and in some campaigns I've played later that are just like, oh, yeah, you went through all this crazy encounter, you level up. That, that, that's just it. And I think in this one I gained, like, 200 experience out of the 1,000 you need for your level up from 1 to 2 in, in 3.5 or 3.0. It, it, it was 3.0. Um, and... Yeah, I, I've I feel like I've kind of gone to a different balance where I'm just like, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a level up after an adventure or two, right? Because uh, it's 
I feel like in that original one, I was kind of leveling up slowly, and in other ones, I feel like I level up too fast. And especially in, like, in some kinds of D&D uh, uh, &D play specifically, um, we've been had, we've had GMs that are throwing, you know, more difficult challenges at us than the normal challenge for our level, and then if you overcome those, then uh, sometimes it's, like, just insane how much uh, experience you should gain. Because I think we were going through a campaign once, and I think we were about level 12 or something. And we went through this big tower full of enemies, and there's a boss at the end, and it was really epic. And then our buddy Owen was DMing, and he had designed this, he's kind of one of those DMs that makes a lot of fairly high difficulty uh, campaigns, and that's fine. And he was, like, looking through, like, okay, what's the, how much experience do I give you? And I, I think he looked through every enemy that we defeated, and he's like, you get this much experience, and it was, like, enough to level us from 12 to, like, 25 or some bullshit like that. Wow. It's like... Uh, I think, so, to an extent, I also think experience systems are a little bit fucked in these kinds of things, if you I, go outside of the parameters that they assume you're going to go, because I there was, like, a, a bonus experience, because it was, like, we're, like, level 12s, and we're fighting CR-16s, and so we get a bonus for, it's, like, more than a 16 going against a CR-16, you know, stuff like that, and it just stacked hilariously that it was just, like... Okay, you level up double your level. Oh wait, the next segment is barely more difficult than this. That's going to, you know, fuck the next segment. So, yeah. <clears throat> Go ahead. I do have issues with combat XP systems. Uh-huh. Uh, because I usually feel like they incentivize certain behaviors. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is everything is a... Which is, if the only way you get experience is through fighting, you're going to want to fight everything. Yeah. Uh, which... is not great for a game that's about not just combat, but also, like, exploration and, like, interacting with the world and characters and shit. Mm -hmm. So... Shall we lead this into our table topic, as long as we accidentally got talking about uh, tabletops? We, yeah, yeah. We were accidentally talking about our tabletop for a while there. Yeah, so our table topic this week is how to handle power progression in RPGs without bloat, slowing the flow of gameplay, or making a treadmill system, which we've touched on a little bit there. Uh, what do you mean a treadmill system? So, 4th edition D&D, I think, qualifies as a treadmill system, in that mm -hmm. uh, the more you level up, the, the expectation is your characters level up and the monsters level up with you. Right. So, and you're just getting like an increasing bonus to like your defenses and your to hit and your damage. Mm -hmm. But the monsters are scaled that in mind. So, you, you look like you're getting more powerful, but based on the challenge you're facing, uh, nothing's really happening. Right. And, but that's because 4th edition was designed with the expectation that you were going to go through the DM's precious combat encounters. Uh, I did happen to play in a 4th edition game where that was not the case, and getting more powerful actually meant you got more powerful, which was cool. 
Uh, mm. But I think any game that where when you go from low levels to high levels and you're just expected to fight more powerful things without the opportunity to go back and be good against less powerful things or get through obstacles without a sweating that would have given you a lot of trouble before, then that's a treadmill system. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think that's to be avoided. Yeah. Uh, I also am now slowly coming to the opinion that I'm preferring games where you gain in breadth of power as opposed to mm-hmm. like scale of power. Mm-hmm. So maybe not any more pluses to your to hit after a certain point, but more like different abilities. Okay. Not, not to say that I hate getting more pluses to hit. I, th- I think there's a thing yeah. for that game. It does something to the brain where it's like, oh, I got another plus to hit and damage. Yeah, yeah. That makes me feel when good. When you roll that skill roll and you beat that DC 45, you're like, oh, yeah, statistically impossible, bitches. Yeah. <laughs> uh, stuff like that. Yeah, so... Yeah, I think that's uh, it's almost kind of a lot to unpack there because... <laughs> We've kind of gone through a lot of things, um, but um, yeah, I feel like, again, it, it, it just has to have a little bit of balance. I say that with a lot of shit, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, I feel like for combat encounters uh, specifically, um, you can't just we hit harder and the enemies also hit harder and we have more hit points and the enemies also have more hit points. Cause that, that just kind of, I can see what you're saying with a treadmill system there. It's like, okay, we're doing the same things we were at level four, but we're level 15 now. Stuff yeah. like that. It's like, uh, so, so is the game really different? You know, we've got a couple of new abilities. Um, and I, f- I feel like fourth edition was bad about the game play mostly being the same levels 1 through 30, where other editions of D&D didn't have that problem because casters took off. Yeah. Which led to a different issue, but... Yes. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I, I feel like, as you progress, you should get more interesting things to do, which, to an extent, is kind of a problem with some systems, um, especially 3.0 and 3.5, uh, where, like... Level 1 through 20, if you're a melee fighter, particularly, you will gain zero new things to do the entirety of that level. You will get slightly more powerful, and and like you're saying, you'll get a lot of pluses. You get that base attack bonus at your full level, that's cool, you get more attacks, but at the end of the day, that makes it so that in, you know, at 20th level, if you're a fighter or a barbarian or a monk, the objective correct thing to do in combat is hit the things as many times as you can. You just full attack, fuck everything. That's all you do. Yeah. That is your job. Whereas uh, that's why, you know, mages get, you know, a little bit more versatility, which is one of the things that I kind of like about uh, some of the outside of core source material for 3.0 and 3.5 is it really kind of explored the possibilities of other things. And a lot of the, like, non-source classes had, like, oh, you've got all these abilities with, uh, like, and, and Pathfinder was really good at that, too. I'm playing a ninja in uh, our one of our Pathfinder campaigns, and it's really cool uh, that, you know, he's got 
a lot of abilities that I can do, and we're only like fifth level, I think. Um, and I still feel like, okay, I got my sneak attack, I can use poison, and I can uh, use my key points to give myself an extra attack or do various other things based on what powers I've taken. And stuff like that kind of customization goes into it really well. But at the same time, I feel like it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because uh, I remember, I don't know how many fucking fighters I made in 3-0 and 3-5, but they were all, you know, I, I would try and vary it up. I'd, you know, change my weapon. I'd change my feet build a little bit. So the customization is still interesting enough to keep me going to make me, you know, make my character something a little bit more interesting than just I hit it really hard, you know. And sometimes I would go for a crit build and sometimes I would go for a multiple attacks build or a, or a lots of um, attacks of opportunity build, stuff like that. So you could still vary it up. But uh, then you go to, like, the Pathfinder things with the ninja, and a lot of the classes in Pathfinder actually have similar abilities like this, where it's, like, uh, even just the regular rogue, I think, in Pathfinder gets, like, rogue talents or something they're called, uh, and you just have, like, a, this giant-ass list of different powers to choose, effectively, uh, and most classes have something kind of like that of just a big list of powers to choose. And it's cool, and it makes for a lot of customization, but I feel like the double-edged sword bit of that is that it gets really intimidating when you're looking at, like, what class should I play now? And it's like, it to really deep dive and really understand what a class can do, I think was really cool in 3.0 and 3.5, where even in, like, the non- uh, the non-core materials, you could kind of look through their level up sheet 1 through 20, maybe read a couple of specific abilities, and you'd have a general idea how they play. Whereas in Pathfinder, I feel like more often it's like you have to look through their level 1 through 20 list and then through all of their individual power list to be like, okay, I could customize it this way or this way or this way. And it, it, it ends up being kind of intimidating to just look at even one class or two classes. I feel like I could, you know, just like pour over the source material for hours and, you know, in some cases not even really pick a class because I've... You know, I only understand three of them now, you know. Uh, yeah, 3.5 and Pathfinder definitely have an issue with... Uh, with complexity and scaring off new players. Yeah. I think that's almost inarguable. Yeah, it's my favorite edition and I can't deny it. <laughs> Yeah. Just how 3.5 works. You get you get all that customization, but it's a lot more of a pain in the ass to create a character than it is in like fifth. Uh, I feel like the monsters should be more interesting as well. Because um, kind of going back to that point, like uh, I feel like you know when you're at first level. You should probably be getting a vague idea of how the game works, a vague idea how your class works, so you're probably fighting, you know, kobolds and goblins and shit. And they're like, oh, it's got a spear, he attacks you, he pokes you with a spear, you know. 
maybe you'll find a guy that grapples you once every now and then. Uh, but then you get to level 20 and you're fighting, you know, five spellcasters at once and dragons with crazy abilities and the Tarrasque will swallow you whole. And, and, and the monsters should have a lot more varied abilities in there as well. Um, whereas uh, I feel like... I feel like that's partly why I like to homebrew stuff is that that way I can kind of give you a little bit of that in any level. Uh, so I, I very seldom use like uh, source material monsters or, or enemies of any kind. I almost always homebrew every single enemy. Uh, and I, I feel like you get a lot more variation that way of just like... That's been an interesting thing DMing... Because recently I've been DMing my campaign in 5th edition. And one of the things that I've been trying to design bosses with is unique ways to make you use all six of your saves. Because instead of like 3.5, you had your uh, Fortitude Reflex Will. Now you have one for every one of your core abilities. Uh, strength, Constitution, Dexterity, Intelligence, Wisdom, Charisma. Um, Which I think they tried to make it a little too neat there. You don't need six saving throws. Yeah, I don't think so. But at the same time, it does give me an interesting thing as a homebrew DM um, to where I try every time to make at least the boss have uh, one ability that can affect every one of those saving throws and then an attack for against your armor class or whatever. And I also try to like vary my enemies as you're going. Like, okay, this one will you know, uh, cause a charisma save and, and this one will cause, you know, I'll try to poison you. You'd have a constitution save or whatever. So I, I think it makes an interesting variation for homebrew GMs specifically, but at the same time, it is a little cumbersome to <laughs> design that many attacks in an encounter, especially since I feel like half the time I design all these attacks and they get, you know, two or three rounds and they can't use all of them. And they get destroyed. Yeah. You guys are too good at kicking ass or something. Uh, that also leads me into back to uh, kind of the preference for flatter development. Mm -hmm. Or flatter, like, like flatter progression, where it's, let's say, a game where you only got up to, like, level four, and then you just stopped gaining hit points and, like, damage bonuses and things like that. But you could mm. still gain abilities, and, like, every level after that, you didn't gain, like, hit points or damage or attack or AC or anything, but you could gain like a new ability. Okay. Uh, I think that would be a lot of fun to play because then people would just be like it would make things stay scary for a long time. Yeah. But you would still have that necessary that sense of progression and uh You'd still you'd still be gaining like new abilities, like new spells or yeah. new techniques or whatever. It's an interesting um, kind of an idea. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of remember when I was doing my Zombocalypse campaign. I made a homebrew oh, yeah. system for that, where essentially every level you don't gain a class level, but uh, it was based on three point five. So you could just select any ability from three point five and apply it to your character. So you could put on sneak attack or the, as long as you met like the minimum requirement to obtain that. Uh, so like you're a level one character, you could get like 1d6 of sneak attack and you get like an extra hit die or something. 
uh, and, and various abilities like that, which ended up actually making for one of the most varied parties I think I've ever DM'd for because uh, like uh, our buddy Josh literally just spent all of his abilities on fucking hit points. So he's just like, I want an extra D8 hit point every time he gets an ability. And so he was like the tankiest ass tank ever, but he wasn't great at uh, like shooting zombies and stuff or driving the car and different, you know, whatever I happen to have you do trying to escape these zombies and whatever. And, and then, you know, there was you who was this crazy ass shotgun bastard. <laughs> Zeb, the, uh, Zeb 13 face or whatever, yeah. however many faces he ended up having. I think he started at nine, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He did start at nine. <laughs> And just kept getting his face fucked up more and more by different battle scars and shotgun blasts and a sword to the face from a naked chick. Yeah, that hurt. Yeah. So uh, you never want to get hit in the face by a sword from a naked chick. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that kind of thing? Um, if you had to choose, like, like, you could gain hit points, but you had to choose them instead of your abilities would that uh, make for a deeper customization or go further to what you were talking about with uh, a little bit more of the scariness of the campaign i uh, i don't think it i think it makes a game really customizable mm -hmm. i i think it can have a lead to a lot of fun in that everybody can uh, kind of have really different things going on with their characters that way mm-hmm um, so it's like one guy's like, yeah, I'm not gonna die from hit point damage, whatever. Uh, he's just like, I'm so tough, I can't fucking die. Which, and that's kind of how a lot of point buy systems work. Mm -hmm. Like, hero system, or mutants and masterminds is pure, more hero system than anything, where you can just kind of build the character however you like. Uh, but it does also kind of make it hard to run a game for people because mm. if one guy is so incredibly tanky they can't get hurt they can't take much damage it, it makes it harder to predict the possible courses of action players can take so you can make an adventure and it can just be trivialized by one person's character mm -hmm. which is not it, it's fun once and then it kind of sucks when it happens continuously, we had an uh, I don't think I don't think that's a problem with Zombocalypse because mm -hmm. uh, you were still constrained by the level system. Yeah. Uh, that was an interesting thing that that kind of reminds me of uh, uh, Chris and I created a tabletop system that we called yeah. a super simple super system. Uh, and we were playtesting it with our group once, and one of our guys made what he called One Punch Man, where it was similar to One Punch Man, where he could literally, li literally all of his points, uh, he just put into punching people, so he would kill literally anything he punched, his minimum damage was almost enough to kill almost any enemy in the entire game, and obviously it's, like, very unlikely when he's rolling, like, 8d6 or something that he'll roll minimum damage, so... He, He's running around, you know, even if he rolls average damage, he's just punching things and killing them. And it was, I, I got, uh, I think one of my players was like a little bit like, oh man, I should have built my character like yours. You're just so effective. Um, 
but then literally the first time an enemy attacked him, he died. <laughs> so it was like, oh wait, hold on, That's, I don't want I, now. I'm gonna avoid that. That did some bullshit right there. <laughs> so I think because he didn't put any money into hit points. <laughs> a character design system like that, or <laughs> a system. Uh, that's very flexible in like design and character design and character progression. You also mm. want to make sure that, at the very least, that the players know what obvious, what tr kind of like traps there are in the design and how to avoid them. Yeah. Or you just find a way of making sure they don't hit those traps at all. Yeah. One of the things that you suggested was like uh, to make a minimum. Um, point based on level. Uh, you have to have at least this many points in this stat and this stat and this stat. Uh, this many minimum HP and stuff like that. And yeah. I think there's, to an extent, that's a good idea, but at the same time it also kind of takes away a little bit of the customization that we really were going for when we designed the system. So it's it's another double-edged sword from the design aspect at the very least. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure where I stand on that yet. I feel like our system just needs some more playtesting uh, to just make sure it's like, there's not like any gigantic loopholes in it or something, but... Oh yeah, absolutely. Other than that, I feel like our system, like the way it works is the way I feel like I want it to work. And I think that's pretty cool. Because you get all this customization, and you also can make a character for a new player in 10 minutes. Which is kind of fucking incredible to me. I'm just so, like, amazed that we came up with this shit. We should sell it. Make billions. 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 I mean, probably I mean, we'd not. probably make, like, hundreds if it was all polished up and stuff. Get to editing Hundreds. that document, would you? Editing it. <laughs> I think I was gonna, uh, you know, do something with it the what? other day, and then and something. then I got distracted, and then the other day was two years ago. <laughs> that's, that's how that works sometimes. That that is how that is kind of how that I could, works. I could pull it up here with the. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna look at when when the last time I edited it was. Uh, uh, all right, May 22nd. Oh, actually, that was this year. Wow. I wonder if that's when I edited it or when I just looked at it for something. I guess I did play a session with my kids. Uh. Anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, anything else you want to talk about this uh, progression system in uh, RPG systems? Oh, yeah, there's needs to be better guidance on the DM end for designing adventures that isn't just make a railroad or make sure the players go on the path you expect kind of stuff because that's boring and lame. And they probably will try to not. Yeah. And then if you... I've had places where the DM didn't have a backup plan for them not going on the railroad and then they ended up like... You know, we ended up, like, wandering around in some town that had nothing to do because no content was prepared for this town. It was just a place on the map. And so the guys, the DM's like, yeah, it's got a pub. 
also uh, have better improvisation tools mm-hmm. or to, to help, you know, new people running games. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like it's okay to railroad a little bit, just, you know, kind of eke them in the direction of just like, hey, this story content's I, not I, in the direction you're I going, you know, or, or give... I don't think it's okay to ever railroad, but I think it is okay to say, hey, do you guys want to, like, play the game? Right. Maybe not railroad, but, like, nudge in the direction that something could happen. Or, you know... One of the tricks that I use, actually, is, like, I prepare content, and then if it doesn't get used, I'll just, like, save it. And then I'll be like... Later on, you're in this town, and I'll be like, oh, here's the adventure that I wrote three towns ago that you took the other adventure, or some bullshit like that. Yeah. You know, I'm like, okay, uh, the Temple of the Swamp Monster is right here in the desert. Oh. And then, and Plus then you have, whatever. <laughs> I feel like every long-term DM eventually has, like, a folder full of stuff like that that they can just yeah. pull out when they need. I've actually started organizing all of my homebrew monsters into one Google Drive document. <laughs> It's uh, it's pretty hilarious. I'll share it with you maybe because it's it's got a lot of weird shit in there that I've created over the years. Uh, I would yeah, I'd like to look at that. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, not that I can think of at the moment. Yeah. So don't totally fuck up your progression system if you make a tabletop RPG. Yeah. All right. I feel like that's good general advice. Yeah, and then uh, I guess uh, that'll do it, unless you've got anything else. Uh, I guess we're done. <gasps> uh, yeah. Shit, we are done. The end of the podcast has its own theme song now. And I'll probably forget it by next week, because I'm gonna drink. I feel like you just made up this theme song. No, I, I've been rehearsing that for, like, day. Oh, really? Ish. For some reason, I don't believe you. I wonder why. Because <laughs> what you said was complete nonsense. <laughs> it's possible. Um... <laughs> Anyways, thank you for joining us on Drink to the Past. Uh, as always, you can catch us on YouTube, Podbean, and Apple Podcasts. My name is Sean Michael Patrick Thompson. You can catch me over on TwoGuysPlayingZelda.com. Of course, you can catch me on the podcast here. This will be awesome. Um, and we're actually going to have a couple of interesting weeks. Coming up next week is our big crossover episode with the four players. So check out the four players on YouTube and... Uh, some of them, or maybe all of them, I'm not totally sure yet, uh, will be here next week to talk about whatever it is that we'll talk about. And then the week after that, I actually have two guests lined up to come and talk about Breath of the Wild, which will be an awesome, badass conversation. So uh, don't want to miss our next couple of weeks. I think they're going to be really cool with some fun guests to talk to. Yeah. Uh, and of course, as always, this is my co-host, Chris Slappy Audette. Hi, I'm Chris, terrified for the future of this country, Audette. Uh, you can find my writings now on itch.io. Uh, Five Cataclysms has a storefront on itch.io now. 
so you can pick up five cataclysm core rules beta edition still under development uh please judge but in the appropriate amount and house of flowers which is a module and you can pick both of those up for any price you like including free also pick up some of nick's content what a tease his content is good uh yeah yeah so sean i have to ask for the four players yes there's four that's of them. Really what that's really what they're called. That is, yeah. You can check them out on YouTube. They do, they do different uh, kind of co-op things on their YouTube channel uh, where sometimes it's got... I, I haven't watched a ton of their videos. I've watched a couple of them. Uh, one of them is our good buddy Crow who comes on the podcast regularly. Um, and he's with three other uh, people and they do various uh, commentary and uh, multiplayer games and stuff they, like that. They might, they might want to workshop that name. I'm just gonna lay it out here. I think it's wonderful. Isn't? Isn't it? You think? You, you think the? It, There's four of them, and they're players because they play video games. Four players. It's totally yeah, I, I, I got that part, but um, <laughs> how do I say it? How indeed? How do you say it, Chris? Uh, their their name is really sexual. Is it? I didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even I can't even say that with a straight face. I think that means I have to drink, right? Uh, beautiful. It's a beautiful name. Yes. It's one of the best names for beautiful people, as far as I know. I don't know what any of them look like because they're on YouTube and they're usually hidden behind, like, you know, video games. Yeah. I know what Crow looks like because he was on our podcast once and he was like, hey, look, I'm on video. And I was like, hey, sweet. That guy's Crow. Yeah, that's how I remember that conversation, guys. Thank you. Crow. Yeah. And now for that part of the podcast where we just talk about stuff until somebody says something really awkward, which I feel like almost might have happened like when we were talking about foreplay and stuff, but uh, it, it didn't. So now we have to say something else also awkward. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. What kind of deck are you playing there, Chris? I thought it was black and white a minute ago. You, you switched? Uh, so, so I actually did a draft in the middle of this because I saved up enough of the free-to-play currency to do that. Neat. Which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So now you're all going red-green. It's one of my colors in Magic. I, I actually like the red-green. Those two colors just, are one of my colors. <laughs> there's just something so honest about it. Yeah, it's just like, I'm just gonna punch you in the face and burn your dick off. Yeah. Like, I like that. Yeah. I like really? punching people in the face and burning their dicks off. <laughs> 